Bitov. Um, today's daf is Kuf Gimel 103. We pick up on Kuf Tadamut Bet. Of course, I obviously should mention that it's also September 11th, the uh, 15th uh, anniversary of uh, the, uh, uh, the tragedy at the Twin Towers. So, uh, obviously, um, our learning should be in memory of all of those who uh, died there and those who gave their lives to save those who were uh, who were trapped in the Twin Towers. Um, we uh, we pick up with uh, the second uh, wide line on Kofetam Mutbet, and we're in the middle of a discussion here about um, uh, Mishnah that spoke that uh, if somebody was actually given uh, money to buy wheat and bought barley, barley and bought wheat, etc., um, whether or not um, what the consequence of that would be, and the and the Gemara sort of tried to tie it into the debate of Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Meir about uh, whether Shinui is Kona or not Kona. Of course, it's a strange type of a comparison because it's one thing if you, the person is given an object to uh, make a, uh, you know, to, to, to like wood, to make a, ch- a chair out of it, wool to dye it, where there's an object to be kona, it's the raw material. Exactly here, what are you being kona? What's the idea of shinoi kona? is strange. But it seemed to be some type of a parallel that if you say shinoi kona, according to uh, Rebbe, uh, who was it who said shinoi kona there? Rebbe Huda, uh, Rebbe Meir, um, then that would mean that in a similar way, if you're not following the instructions of the uh, of what you were told to do when you were given this money, then you're operating outside of your shlichut, and then somehow it's sort of like you're taking the money and taking possession of the thing you're buying, and you're not sort of operating, you know, within the context of your shlichut. Whereas if you say shinoi is not kona, when it's a similar case by a craftsman or a tradesman, then here you would be operating within your shlichut, and you still would be operating for the owner of the money, except because you're going against the instructions, if there was any loss that came as a result of it, you would have to be the one that suffered the loss. So that was sort of the parallel that the Gemara was sort of stru- was setting out. And then the Gemara said, you know, here, even according to the one that Rabbi Yehuda that normally says, uh, she, uh, excuse me, give me this right, wrong. Rabbi Meir Shinoi Kona, right. Um, but that here things would be different because uh, because here, what do you call it? Here, um, you know, it's not that the person really just wants to make money. He really doesn't care what the money's invested in. So the the fact that you're prepared to call this a shinoi and stepping outside of the shlichut like not, it's not necessarily the same parameters because you know if you're investing the money in something that winds up being a successful investment then you could really be considered the um, you know to be uh, op- still operating within the context of the shlichut okay, so those were some of the issues that were discussed yesterday um, the, uh, apparently what came up also in yesterday's discussion um, was the issue of uh, what do you call it of heter mechira uh, uh, because excuse, um, excuse me, Heter Iska. I assumed that the reason for that was was because since the Gemara described there a possibility of a way in which if you operate outside of the shlichut, then the halacha the Gemara says is is that any profit you make is equally divided. If I gave you money to invest and in that we'd be partners, and then you stepped outside of the parameters of the uh, sort of instructions that I gave you, if I if you're within the instructions that I gave you, any profit is shared and any loss is shared. But if you step outside of those instructions, then any profit is shared, but any loss is your loss. Um, because So that was sort of the structure that was set up well, for me. So it would be good for me for you to step outside the instructions, and I can only gain and not lose as a result. Um, and again, that's the idea that if we say that either Shinoi is not Kona, that I, going against my instructions doesn't mean you take possession of the money. Again, it's a funny analogy. Or if we say even if it normally is, but because here in the end, I really just care about making a profit. So then when you're making profit, you're always operating within the context but if you're going against it then it's your fault that there's a loss so given that structure that I could only gain and not lose Tozus basically indicates that this is a nice sort of he doesn't say in so many words but a nice sort of way in which in creating almost a workaround for the idea of lending money at interest because then what I could basically do and this is the way Heter Iska works is you see when the Torah when you're not allowed to lend money in interest it's basically the, I mean the reason is, is because we're dealing with an agricultural Society, so people didn't really borrow money for investment. The Torah imagines that the only reason people are borrowing money is because they're poor. If the only reason people are borrowing money because they're poor, obviously it's uh, it's you know improp. It's like it's taking advantage of somebody to charge interest, or even if it's a reasonable thing to do, if the re- rates are reasonable, nevertheless, you can understand why 
the Torah mandates not to do it because it's actually essentially a form of tzedakah. But in a time when people borrow money for com- for fi- for commercial for investment and commercial reasons and so on, then obviously it uh, doesn't make as much sense. And interestingly, the Gemara then creates a workaround called heter iska. And you know sometimes you feel a workaround is sort of cheating the system. But here, interestingly, the workaround exactly reflects the reality that if it's about business, then you know then there's a sort of different set of values that are uh, that, that are that are op- because we ain't our shin in time of the crowd. You have to still work within. The Torah didn't limit it to those realities. But anyway, but you create this workaround. And the nature of the workaround is essentially the following. Is let's say I want to lend Michael here $1,000 and pay 5% interest, but I'm not allowed to do that. So what I basically do is I say to Michael, um, there's something along the lines of the following. I say, Michael, we're really, I'm not going to lend you $1,000. What we're really going to do is we're really going to go into business. And I'm going to invest $1,000 in your business. Um, and I'm really entitled to all of the losses that, uh, to all the gains also all the losses but we'll make you a deal but I'll make you a deal you pay me a simple 5% fee as a you know as a sort of and for that 5% that you're paying me I'll sort of keep my nose out of your books and you know whatever and I'll trust you in terms of all the losses and you know the gains or whatever da 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 so essentially then you know now how exactly it works that he doesn't have to if he comes back and says you know I invested the money and it's all gone how come he still has to pay me back there's ways of working about around that as well but essentially it's sort of the interest becomes redefined as a fee and what, what, our, uh, what we're doing is sort of redefined as a business rather than as a loan. So anyway, Tosis describes a similar type of a scenario because if you can create a crea- reality where all the loss is Michael's but the gain is mine, so then I say, Michael, I'm investing $1,000 in your business. Here are the rules and I give them rules that are impossible to follow. The way Tosis basically says is, you know, only lend out this money if someone gets a business of lending money or whatever to, I guess, non-Jews or whatever it might be. Only lend this money if you can get gold collateral, vessels and collateral, and only you know protect this money like in the biggest, like you know, safe possible, etc. Something that he'll never be able to do, and therefore he's always operating outside of my rules, and therefore um, he, any loss is he, he has to suffer, which means he'll also always have to fully reimburse me for the principal. But any gain, I get half, so you can sort of reframe the gain as a, you know the the interest becomes a type of a gain, and so on. Anyway, those are some of the interesting implications about what we learned yesterday. Now we have to get on to today's uh. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Tanara um, Banana, Rabbi's taught. Um, so this is two lines down in the wide lines. Um, if somebody buys a field in the name of his friend, you don't force him to sell it. Uh, but if he says on the condition, you force him to sell it. Now, none of that seems to make any sense. So what's, what's going on? My comer, what's being said here? Here's what's being said. I don't know where the race Lusa came in here, okay, but we're trying to make some sense out of this. So, you purchase a field from your friend. Now, in order to get it so that people don't challenge the purchase, you know, once I buy, I buy this field here from Michael, people are going to come, now, you know, Michael's a tough guy, nobody's going to challenge him about who owns the field, but once I have it, people are going to say, oh, you know, it was really my field that Michael had, and you bought my field, and then they're trying to take it away from me. There's going to be all of these court cases I'm going to have, might have to deal with, you know, or just anytime anybody owns land, they want to protect themselves about nuisance suits. So the way I protect myself against a nuisance suit is I basically write on the documents and I basically say, I'm actually buying this for the sake of the Reish Lusa. Okay, I'm buying this for the sake of, you know, of the government. So, you know, what? I'm not lying. It's sort of like a, you know, it's a, like... Yes, I'm lying, but it's a, it's a, but it's a, it's, it, it, it's a fiction, okay? Like I'm not, I'm certainly not, tri- I'm not, I'm exactly, I'm certainly not tricking you, okay? Uh, but yes, apparently, I mean, we'll see whether that was like a standard thing that was done. Of course, if it became too standard, then then you aren't going to scare anybody off, okay? But then if people thought that it might be being purchased for the government or you know, then then well, not community, but anyway, nobody's going to challenge it, okay? So ain't Kofi no so now, okay? I look at that so then you don't force the, the Reish Galusa like to say hey you know Dove just bought this field that has your name on it but we all know that Dove was just doing it in order to protect his uh, investment so you should go ahead and transfer the property to Dove no the Reish Galusa will say thank you very much for that field there I'm not going to give it down to Dove he bought it for me thank you very much <laughs> 
But if I base it, but if when I buy it, I basically buy it from Michael. I say, Michael, I'm only going to buy it from you in the name of the Reish Galusa on the condition that after I do this, the Reish Galusa goes ahead and resells it to me, and 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 gives it to me. So then, Kofinosolimkor, then you force the Reish Galusa to sell it to me. Of course, the Reish Galusa should still say no, and then just my purchase from Michael would be bought out. But okay, now Amar, so that's actually one way of reading it. We haven't even analyzed it. That's just the way of reading it. Work, working in some words. Amar, so let's analyze that. So that sounds like before we get the Reish Galusa to sell it to me, that the uh, basic point is if I brought it in his, on his behalf, automatically he, the Reish Galusa owns it. So let's say this argues on B'nai Marava. The Amri v'kimiho diel l'bal chitim shiknechitim l'bal apayis. So this came up yesterday, and I don't want to get into exactly the context in which it came in yesterday, but the basic point was was that if I'm going ahead and buying something and I don't tell the person I'm buying it on behalf of somebody else, but I don't tell the seller that I'm buying it on behalf of that person, like that happened when I was given the money to invest and then I didn't actually tell the person who, for whom I was buying it and so on. So one of the challenges that was raised was if I am operating according to the agency that I was given and I am purchasing something, do I have to inform the seller for whom I am buying it for? Or even without informing it, it's understood that the guy is selling it to me for whether I'm acting on my behalf or whoever's behalf I'm acting. He doesn't have to know who he's selling it to. Okay? So the Bnei Marava basically said, indicated that if you don't inform him, then the seller, then you're not actually purchasing for the person for whom you're buying. So this challenges it because it sounds like the Reish Galusa purchases it. Now, the, I don't really understand the Mars question because it sounded like I was explicit to Michael that I was buying it for the Reish Galusa. So I don't understand why that's a challenge to what Bnei Marava said. Um... Um, Shumha, says, but that's ex- essentially what the Gemara responds. I don't, but I don't even understand the Havanina. I told Michael I'm buying it for the Rage Clues. I mean, of course, if I didn't, then why is it being written on the star regardless? So it's, it's a very funny Havanina. What, what else the Gemara was thinking? So and I told the witnesses. Okay, maybe the Gemara imagined that I only told it to the witnesses so they would write the document that way, so the document would help protect me against frivolous lawsuits. But I hadn't told Michael. So now the answer is no, you told Michael. So anyway, that's why we're bringing it in, to a, because of the tie into the statement of the Bnei Marava. But L.A. Masefa, but okay, fine. So that's the beginning of it. You don't so force the... Three big, big implications. Like, let's say you want to buy a house for your, you know, kid. You have to tell the, the lender. Oh, the, the seller. Well, fine, yeah, the seller, but, you know, whoever. Like, you know, or the bank, right? Like, they're essentially... No, you don't have to tell the person you're borrowing money from. You have to tell the person who's, who's selling it to you, that whom you're purchasing for. Right, that's the question, exactly. L.A. Masefa, the commercial says, fine, forget that part. Let's look at the end. Amanas, if I buy from Michael on the condition that the race Galusa transfers it to me, then you force the race Galusa to transfer it to me. Amanas, Kofi no so race Galusa linkor. Am I? The lame race Galusa, why you cry, be in a low Zulaisha, be in a writing for race Galusa to do anything. The race Galusa can say, I don't need your honor that you're writing the star in my name, and I don't need your, you know, your disparaging of my honor that you're getting me involved in your tiny little, in your little uh, transaction, and now you want me to write a star for you. Like, what is this nonsense? LMR by Fine, and anyway, it's pretty bizarre to introduce Rach Luce into that whole discussion. Anyway, so Rabbi says, here's how to read it. We're going to take out the Rach Galusa phrase here, although Rafi, I think, maintains it. Anyway, I buy So basically, um, uh, one minute, let me just double check what this case is. Um, One minute, one minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. So basically, I mean, Rocky does have the Rage Galusa story. The point is like this. Forget the Rage Galusa. We're not going to get the Rage Galusa to try to write the field to me. I basically say to Michael, essentially, I want to buy... I, I want to buy this field for myself, but I'd like a star in the name of the Reish Galusa. So if any nuisance suits come up, I can always say, "Hey, go fight the Reish Galusa to his field." But I really, I want the real document to be in my name. Okay, I want two documents. You know, one to show, you know, one to, you know, you know, one to show people who bother me, and one that really proves that I own it. Okay, so some have the Reish Galusa, some don't. But anyway, it's in somebody else's name, but that other person is not the one who really owns it. Right? The field is in my wife's name, but it's really mine. 
fine. Okay, we don't have to bring the Reish Galusa into it. For whatever reason, I don't want the property in my name. Maybe I want to keep away creditors or whatever I want to keep away. I want to put it tax purposes. I want it in somebody else's name. But I want the other document that's the real document that I own it. You don't force Michael here to write me another document of sale to put it in my name. The I'm only buying it on the condition that after you write the field that it belongs to either the Reish Galusa or my wife, whoever you write it to, you also write me a document that it belongs to me. In that case, you force him. Okay, so now let's see if, we, if that works. Obviously, Michael says, I don't, look, if you want me to write that, I told you the Reish Galusa, I'll, I'll write, or your wife, I'll write that. But how, why, you know, why, how can you force me to write now another document that I sold it to you? So he says, isn't that obvious? No. I might have I could say to Michael, listen, buddy, you knew that I was really purchasing it for myself. And I really just wanted some way of strengthening the sale. And that's why I was writing this other document, right, in order so that, again, to somehow as a way of avoiding nuisance suits. Okay? Well, she says, Panchai is a word of like chosek, some type of protection. Okay? You knew that the, that the first document that you wrote in the name of Reish Galusa, or whoever you wrote it in, was not the real person who owned that field. You know that that was only a way of getting rid, right, maybe, a way of getting rid of nuisance suits. You knew I was the real purchaser. The Kabi'ina. I'm not throwing my money, flushing my money down a toilet. Why would I be buying a field for the Reish Galusa? I'm not an agent of the Reish Galusa. You knew it wasn't serious. You knew it was really just a way of, you know, giving me some type of a uh, protection. So, Ella died the cost of Lestarachrina. I only bought it on the purpose, on the condition, on the assumption that you would write me a document in my name. So, Kamash Malan, so we could teach us that Michael can say back to me, Damalei, Inyana Avdi Lacha. Listen, buddy. So, um, uh, let me just take the rest of it. Um, right. Um, you, you, I, 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 you know, they, so we're going to take even so, so but everybody's afraid to take on Joe okay so I but I didn't know why maybe you had some deal going on with him okay it's not my business to know your business maybe you had some condition or some deal going on with the person in whose name you bought it and Joe is going to write you the document to sell it to you I don't have to know your business you buy it in the name of Joe I'm writing it for you I'm writing you a star by the name of Joe do I I have to care that you know you won't waste your money. So maybe that's something to do with your arrangement with Joe. But if I say no, you're writing it only on the condition you also write me a document in my name. Then you can force them to write to sell it. Pshita, obviously, that was a condition of the sale. And here it's not like I got to get Rachel Lusa or I got to get Joe to write me a document. It's a condition that Michael writes me the document. No, no, Tzricha, you need for the following case. The Amar Luhu Lisadi Kamei Day that I said to witnesses in the presence of Michael I never said to Michael Michael I'm only selling it to you on the condition that you write me another document I said to the witnesses listen I'm buying this in the name of Joe here but be aware and Michael is in this room when I'm saying this be aware I said to the witnesses that I'm going to be asking Michael for another document in my name okay so presumably the Chiddush is that that counts as, a, as stipulating with Michael I explicitly stipulated with Michael obviously whatever the stipulation was but I didn't explicitly I just informed the witnesses in his presence, okay? So, I might have thought, that Michael could say to me, when you said, pay attention, I'm going to want another document from him, maybe I thought the him meant Joe. I didn't know the him meant me. I thought you meant, you were telling them that now you're going to go to Joe and get a document from Joe. That I can say back to Michael, no, that's why I was telling them in your presence. So you should be aware of that, I mean, not who the cover, you know, that I wanted from you. Okay, that was all quite fascinating. Really, nothing to do with what we were discussing before. The the bridge was this discussion of when I purchase something from somebody in somebody else's on behalf of somebody else, so I have to inform the seller of 
what I'm doing. And that came from this whole idea of switching the conditions of the person who gave me money to invest. Um, by the way, of course, the question that you always come up with here, and I really don't know the answer, is, is like, how could the Gemara work through all the details of this and never raise a voice, raise a voice of objection about sort of like, you know, the trickery that's yeah, going yeah, on? Yeah. You know, so I don't know the answer to that. Like, again, it seems like this was like a standard convention that you could, you know, do these types of things, but like, yeah, why is this legal exactly to write it in somebody's name and it's not a real binding document and I don't know. All right, so the money says like this. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Rafkana Okay, now again, talking, going back to the idea of sort of like investing money and for whom you're buying it and when you own it. I mean, again, these are all somewhat loosely connected. So Rafkana gave money for flax. Okay, so Rav Kahana here gave money to, to, to uh, Michael again. Michael's in a lot of business dealings today. And he, Michael's a flax trader. And he gave him $1,000 for some flax of Michael. Rousseau, Iyaka Kitna. And then the flax market went up. And now the flax that he paid $1,000 for worth is worth $1,200. So he didn't do Mashiach, right? Well, that's not clear. The Gemara originally sounds like he did do assumes he did. We'll get to right. Why it assumes that, I don't know. But that seems to be the initial assumption of the Gemara. That he actually purchased it from Michael maybe even did a Kenyan this is the original assumption of the Gemara and left it by Michael now Michael figured he was going to you know he's going to do a nice favor for Rav Kahana Zavni Marvasa now the owner of the flax or the original owner according to this sold it and now he's got $1200 so basically what happened was he gave Rav Kahana gave him a thousand and now he's got $1200 to return to Rav Kahana okay so also the Kamid Rav so Rav Kahana came to, came to Rav I'm sorry so was it, any, was it clear at all why this person was the person to be used what? Yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's... I'm right going to sell his flag. Yeah, it's a good question. So let's take a look at what happened. Right? Amale, so Rav Kahana said to Rav, my Avid, what should I deal? Ezel Ishkozuse? So can I go ahead and collect the money? Meaning I paid a thousand, I'm getting twelve hundred. It seems a little, you know, a little ribbit-like. Okay? Amale, Ikazavne, Amri Haikitna de Kahanahu. If when Michael sold it, he said, I am selling, you know, Rav Kahana's flax. So that it's sort of like the issue before. Before we were talking about Michael, you know, buying something on behalf of somebody and informing the, the seller, I am buying this on behalf of so-and-so. Here he's selling it if he's selling it explicitly in the name of the owner. So because the problem is that this is going to look like ribbis. I gave him a thousand I get twelve hundred. But if when Michael sold it, he was announcing I am selling Rav Kahana's flax, okay, so in that case, it's like it's clear. It's my stuff. He's my agent. It's, it's not ribbis. He's just selling something on my behalf and I'm making a profit. In that case, Ziyoshkol, go take the money. Below, but it's not Lotishkol. You can't take the money because then, now, why? It's because it doesn't look kosher? Or is it because in that, in that case, maybe he actually, he wasn't the same way if he doesn't buy it in my name, it's not being bought for me. If he doesn't sell it in my name, it's not being sold for me. And maybe he was really just a goslin on the flax, okay, and then he stole it, and then he's like, you know, giving me back the money or whatever it is. It makes it a very different transaction, maybe. So that's what the Gemara was says. Kiman, who is this going like? Kibnei Marava, like Kibnei Marava, the Ami Mio deal about Chitim Shit and Chitim Labal Maot. Who told the seller of the grain that he was uh, that he should be, you know, that he should sell the grain to the owner of the money? Atu. So Mia Ivravkana Arba Vashakal Tamnei. The way Bobetikva says, whatever you say here, whether Michael is selling it in, I'll, I'll be Ravkahana for these purposes. Whether Michael is selling it in my name or not selling it in my name, it's not like I gave Michael four dollars and then he just gave me back eight. Like it's a straight rib case. So what happened was I owned the, the flax. The flax went up in value. I bought the flax for four. It's now worth eight. So if he sold it in my name, he's just an agent and I made a profit. Let's say he didn't sell it in my name. Let's say when he sold it because he wasn't saying it, it was in my name, he was actually effectively stealing my flax and selling it. Okay, he stole my flax. How much was my flax worth? Eight dollars. So he pays me eight. Not because of ribbis, because it was my flax it was that I bought for four and then when he stole it it was worth eight either way whether he's selling it on my behalf and I'm making a profit because he's just being my agent or whether he stole it and is selling it on his own behalf either way it's not like I didn't own the flax in the middle in the interim I did so he's either just doing it on my behalf well, or stealing it the thing would be you know if I like you know took it 
to sell at some point, but then waited, and then meanwhile, the fl- price has fluctuated. All right, that, so you could have that case, but that wasn't the case here. So in that case, Nick Zogazway. So he's a thief. Either he's my agent or he's a thief. Either way, I'm entitled to the eight. That's what it was worth. So when you, st- even if when I bought it, it was worth four, when he stole it, it was worth eight. So what sense does this make? Why should there be a problem? Either he's my agent in selling it or he's a goslin. Either way, I should be entitled to the additional price. Yeah, let's think of the other way. So, uh, but, okay, but maybe that wasn't, that wasn't the, seemed to be the scenario. This wasn't an abstract question. It was a concrete case. Okay, I don't really know. Hustam, I don't know. But let's see the answer. Amanahave. No, 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 no. I didn't actually purchase the flax yet. Amanahave means, basically, I purchased, a, I paid Michael the money in advance. I purchased the flax as a future. Okay? So I gave him $4. Okay? And basically, we assumed that that would be one bundle of flax. But I never took possession of the flax. Okay? Mm-hmm. So he owed me, the agreement was, was that he was going to sell me a bundle at the $4 rate that I paid it for. By the time it came time to actually sell, give me the flax, right, I bought a future a month from now, the flax was actually worth $8 a bundle. So he now is going to, if he just gives me $8, he says, you know what, instead of giving you the bundle of flax, which I know I owe you, right, I'll just give you the $8, that's what it's worth right now. Then we have a little bit of a problem, right, because then I gave him 4 I never took possession of anything, and he gave me back eight. That looks like ribbus. Okay, right? There was never any flax that I took possession of in the interim. Okay? So, and Rav Kahana never actually took possession of the flax. So, Rav with Taimein, Rav is going according to his reasoning, Dama Rav, you can pre-purchase stuff if you take delivery of the object. So even if I paid him four now, and when he delivered it, it was worth eight, that's not ribbis. Okay? Because then, even though the thing he gave me was worth eight, and I only gave him four, I mean, again, it wasn't a loan. It was a pre-purchase. And that, that's okay. That's kosher. But if at the end of the day, he pays me the value of the thing he should be delivering, and he paid me eight, and I gave him four, and I never took possession of the object in the end, Interim, and that looks too much like ribbis, and that's not allowed. Okay, now by so that's why it was a problematic because it was basically this pre-purchase of the flax. But what it does, but apparently what's not being clear is what's the case that it's okay. So presumably, if Michael had flax, okay, I paid him the four bucks. Then he went ahead and he took possession of a lot of flax. He had a lot of contracts out there, whatever, right? But then, and then he sold the flax and he got the money. And then he came to me and he just said, you know what? It's like here's the eight dollars, right? You invested four. Here's your eight dollars goodbye. That's not okay because he didn't sell the flax in my name. At the end of the day, all that happened was I gave four and I got eight. There was no possession. But if Michael took possession of all this flax and then he sold it and he said, here, I'm selling Ralph Kahana's flax for him and then he got the money, presumably that would have made it kosher. That would have somehow made it as if I took possession of the flax and then he was just selling it for me. Okay? How does that work? How does that such opinion work? Like, yeah, it's a good question. Like, in general, these whole things about, like, you know, is it being and exactly, you know, to what degree is this real ribbis or just looks like ribbis? So, like, as you can imagine, those are like big sugis. But the basic point is, is that as well, if he was actually selling flax in my name and even and gave me eight, even though I never took possession, that would have made it and more kosher. Do not even need an um, I don't understand how this gets around. This gets around a ribbis problem. This specific context of buying futures. Heteriscus is, 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 is a device to use to, for normal loans. Like, I don't know. We're saying, like, meaning... You don't so need... I, I don't need a heteriscus to sell it. Right, because... Right. So, but let's say I have it... So, but let's say I didn't sell it in your name. Then if we had heteriscus, that'd be okay? Yeah, but that's hard to imagine how a heteriscus would work together on a futures purchase. Anyway, but whatever. There's always a way to make it work. Okay. <laughs> let's take a look at the Mishnah, all right? Now, we switch gears. So, until now, we have really been dealing with variations of the idea of Shinoi Kona. Um, it, um, you know, and some of the most, the, the, the stuff at the end wasn't exactly Goslin. It was interesting derivations of that. If a Goslin is Kona with a Shinoi, what about if you're a craftsman and you change the object, you, you go outside the instructions to what you need to take possession of the object. You weren't intending to steal it, but ultimately you transform somebody's physical object. And then it would go even a more extreme application, which is hard to understand exactly the logic of how to connect the dots, which is you're giving money to invest and you invest it in it not following the instructions to what degree is that like a type of a shinoi kone and it means that somehow you've stolen that money and now you take possession of the object and you owe the guy the original money. Okay, now we switch
which put all that aside and we go to another idea about Kazela, which is um, the case in the Torah about a very specific case about swearing falsely that you have a, a stolen object and it's not limited to a stolen object it could be money that you were given as a loan it could be a lost object that you find for whatever reason I have something of somebody's in my possession whether taken legally or illegally and the person says you have it and I say I don't and I swear falsely and then I admit I have to return this is the Pusuk at the end of uh, the of uh, Parsha of Ayikra uh, Parakei I basically have to return the object itself okay and then I actually add a fifth which in rabbinic math is a fourth because if it's worth four and I add a quarter and I add one then it's a fifth of the resultant total so it's a quarter of the base and I add a fifth and then it's and then I bring an asham asham gezelot okay so here we focus not on the asham but on the idea of the fifth I should also say at the beginning that an interesting part about this is the puzzle that we've been quoting since the beginning of this paragraph to speak about my obligation to return a stolen object is the heshivat hagazela asher gazal right and from there by the way we learn a lot of things about shinui asher gazal kein gazal all those things okay but even though that appears in a parsha about swearing falsely we assume it applies to all gazelot here we are going to assume that my obligation of how far do I have to go to return the object might be a heightened obligation in the case of having sworn falsely because it says uh, you should, must give it back to the person from whom you took it okay notice the process is a little bit more generic return it like return it to whom can I return it to Basin what constitutes that I've returned it when is it said to have been returned give it back to the person you took it from speaks much more about like handing it over to that person's hands so here we're going to assume although the basic obligation of a goblin is learned also from this parsha, we're going to assume that this passage that emphasizes a more heightened obligation to fully return it is only in the case of when I swore falsely so let's take a look at this Mishnah okay so do I have to go back and pay more what's he still there and like the guys you know I hold it to to Joe over there yeah. and Joe is like no you know I, I know this is very sentimental whatever it is I'm going to demand 20% more okay no no no, well, no if it's not in your possession you don't have to the question is not the physical object the question is just re- reimbursing me either giving me back the physical object if you still have it or reimbursing me if you don't but so still how far do you have to go to make sure that I get paid let's take a look so I don't have to go at all no 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 correct correct Hagozeles Chaveiro Shover Pruta if you steal a Shover Pruta something worse a Pruta which is you know less than a cent probably um, from somebody else or at least in today's value in today's market Venetian below and you swear falsely that you don't have it then how far do you have to go to return it you have to go all the way to Medea where's Medea Charlie (laughs) okay right you have to go all the way to Persia to return it presumably even if this was before they had post uh, you know uh, the postal service meaning presumably even if it's only a dollar you have to spend a thousand dollars to get it back to the guy okay yeah if he's in Madai right okay Um, so you could wait but you would not have you would not have been getting your kapara yet you know and if I'm never coming back you'll never get your kapara okay so you cannot give to your son or maybe even the son of the um, of the person who you owe the money for or his messenger you can give it to a messenger of the court Shiko means your messenger or my messenger um, so we'll see in the Gemara well, a messenger why can't you give it to your messenger right so we will see that in the Gemara okay right you would think that if I sent a messenger you could fine but certainly anyway the shot is that um, um, look at Rashi lo yitin lo libno so Michael rightly thinks that presumably you mean I can't give to my son presumably I can give to, to Michael's son if he's the one I stole it from or his messenger Rashi says lo yitin lo libno shel nigzal now it doesn't mean you can't I can if it gets to Michael because of the hate but the point of I can't means I can't assume that I 
fully sort of you know got off of any responsibility. Sheim yaansuhu chayav lahachzir to lo have a reshava ad the admatli yaday. Okay, that yes, I can give it to my messenger. I can even give it to Michael's messenger. But if the money gets lost on the journey before it gets to Michael's hands, then I still have not satisfied my obligation. Now again, that's a pretty big shocker because you would think like if I give it to the messenger, the messenger could take possession for Michael. If Michael is sending the messenger, isn't he implicitly telling me that once I give it to the messenger, I'm off the hook? So all of this the Gemara will ask, okay? But the one person I can give it to is a Shaliach Beitin. There, I can then, I can assume once I've given it to the Shaliach Beitin, you know, I'm no longer responsible for any loss, and they'll make sure it gets to Michael, and if not, well, if not, then why will I be off the hook? It's not exactly clear. Will they reimburse Michael, or are we just saying that I've done my duty, you know, and Michael will both be out the money? We'll tell we can talk about that. You who? The Nigzo? Yeah, apparently. Right. Right. So Rashi thinks that the whole idea of a Shaliyah basin, if you look at Rashi, Takantahu, David Rabbanan, who made Takantahu, that that was in order to make it easier for me because now that you've told me I have to run after Michael all the way, you know, to China, so who, you know, who, 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 I'm, I'm not just not going to bother trying to return it. So Chazal tried to make it easier, you know, give it to a Shaliyah basin, then you'll be Yosef. Those are sort of questions to what degree this is a Takana, or is it the same Takana as a different? different type of a Takana that we're going to encounter later in the Gemara. Okay, but anyway, let's keep on reading the Mishnah. We'll unpack all this when we get to the Gemara. The Mace Yachzil Yershav. Now, if the Nigzo died, don't think like, you know, because this is about, the purpose about this is, is that since it's all tied into the, in the Psukim to the idea of bringing a Korban, the question here is now not just a Dine Mamanis obligation, but there's almost like a Kapara obligation. So it almost goes without saying that if I steal money from somebody and they die, I have to return it to their heirs because like it's, the, it's, it's money owed to the estate but here the Chiddush is that even when I return it to the heirs and not to the person I wronged right from a Kapara perspective I, that still somehow satisfies and then I return it to the estate and I can bring my Korban and still get Kapara now let's say I returned to the person I stole it from the principal I didn't return the fifth because I swore falsely and I owed a fifth okay um, let's say the person who I stole the phone said you know what forget the principle but I'm not going to be mochel the fifth which is a little funny obviously that's a lot less money but maybe he was making a point right you know it's like I really don't you know forget about the money but I want you to still pay me that fifth because that shows like you know that you're accepting guilt and fault and your responsibility or whatever did you explicitly do it or I guess he said alright I'm mochel is it assumed that you can't yeah, presumably you're mochel both but this is just the scenario because it wants to focus us on the on the halachic status of the fifth. Okay? So or he was mocha both, with the exception of one pruta, okay, that he wasn't mochalan. Um oh, excuse me, less than one pruta. Did I skip a line? Less than one pruta of the Karen. In that case, I still owe him the money, but I don't have to go all the way after him to China. Okay, I only have to go after him to China to return the principle that I stole. Right? So therefore, if what I if there's less than anything that's considered value, less than a pruta, or what I owe him is a chomish, but that's a fine. That's added on top. That's not the thing that I stole. That's just now additional money that I owe him. Then yes, I still owe him that money, but I don't have to run after him to the ends of the earth to get it back from him. When you come, I'll pay you. Okay, yes, I owe you the money. I'm not but I'm not going to crazy extent to get it back to you. Um, now, and how if it's the reverse? I paid him the fifth and not the principal. Or he was mocha the fifth, but he wasn't mocha the principal. He was mocha the whole thing. Except for one penny's worth of the principal. I have to go after him, okay? So it's not the amount, dollar amount, it's the principal. As long as there's a prutas worth of the principal, that's the obligation. Other money I owe him is not to that extent. Now, let's say I paid Michael back, it was $100, 
and I paid Michael back the hundred dollars. I swore falsely about it, and now the chomish is twenty-five. Okay, I paid Michael back the hundred dollars, and Michael said, "Thank you very much." But what about the other twenty-five that you owe me? And I say, "No, no, no. I already paid that back." He says, "Take a shrua." So I take a shrua. So now it's like history repeats itself. I'm swearing falsely, not on the principle, but on the chomish. Okay, so now I'm essentially stealing the chomish and swearing falsely on it. Okay, harazim achshalim chomish al chomish. So now I have to pay a fifth on the fifth. Okay, which would be what would that be? Uh, six and a quarter or something. Anyway, okay. Al chomish. fruta. And now I owe Mike. Oh, so then I finally. Okay, fine. Now I owe an extra six and a quarter for the twenty-five. Then I admit to it. Fine, you're right. I was lying. Here's the twenty-five. And I go, say, great. Where's the six and a quarter? What six and a quarter? I paid that already. <laughs> so you will get it again until the principal gets less than a fruta. Okay. Uh, um, now the interesting thing is, if the principal's a Pruta, then I owe him a fifth of a pruta or a quarter of a pruta. I don't know exactly how I pay him that, okay? But I would. But this, you still have to keep on the idea that you could be nishba and have all of these consequences and bring a korban and the whole thing. It doesn't have to have started with something I stole. It could even just start with this additional fine. And as long as there's a pruta's worth, all these consequences apply. Every time, for every for every oath, he brings an ashem. Yes, a little bit. Bring a whole big corpus. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. For came to Now, the same way this is true. If I stole the money and swore falsely, it really doesn't matter how I got the money initially. Even though I got the money legitimately initially. Like it was a it was a, it was a, something that was kept for safekeeping. Um, okay. Um, or. You know, Tzumas Yad, which is basically some type of impropriety. Um, Rashi actually says, actually, Rashi doesn't say it's not impropriety. Rashi says it's actually a loan that I'm denying, or something I stole, or a shakat amito, or that's the impropriety. I somehow, you know, withheld money from you that you were owing. Or it's a lost object that I found, and I denied I found it. Anyway, whether I got the money legitimately or not, now I'm denying it. And I swear falsely. Pay the principal, the fifth, and the asham. Okay, so it's, it, anyway, the bottom line is, though, is that it's clear that by a normal Xela, for whatever reason, I have to give you back the money, but maybe I don't have to expend any effort and expense. You know, because we, the basic principle from the beginning of this parak is how nice we, how easy we go on the God. <laughs> right? Only if I swear falsely, then I have to, like, run after you. And if I don't run after you, like, you know, I can't say I've done my due diligence. I ultimately have not fulfilled my obligation. You know, and I won't be able to bring my korban, I won't be able to get kapara, and so on. Yes, Charlie. Um, you mentioned postal service. Both the Persian Empire and the Roman Empire had postal service. Oh, excellent. So it makes it that much easier to get it to Madad. But I'm not Potter no. if it doesn't get to him. Right. That's the whole I'm about to show I, you. I'm not sure that you could send any something from the Roman Empire where the mission would have been written to the Persian Empire. Oh, that's a good question. They were foremost the <laughs> Got it, got it. So, yes. Considering uh, if there's a prophet and it's a call, Matzaveda, then it says, oh, uh, oh, is that, we, oh, that's interesting. Do we do a prat cloud prat? I'm not sure. I don't remember. Okay, I haven't got. I don't know. It's a good question. Okay, yeah. If you didn't swear false, and the guy is in Mishmadai, what's your obligation to get it to? Yeah, so the Gemara, that's not so clear. I mean, uh, but to some degree that's going to be explored right here at the beginning of the Gemara, so let's take a look at the Gemara. Okay? N- it is very funny, right? H- how is it that we've been talking all this time and we only talk about the extent of the obligation when we get to this Shua? What about all the normal cases? So let's look at the Gemara. Nishpalo in, so here's the first thing that I ask. This is your obligation when you swear falsely. Lo nishpalo lo, not if you don't swear falsely. Money, who is this going like? Lo Rebbe Tarfin, Velo Rebbe Akiva. Neither Rebbe Tarfin nor Rebbe Akiva. The time we tell the Brisa. Gezel Echad Micha Misha, Ve'enu Yodea Ezemehem Gazal, or Ezemehem. Vekol Echad Omer Oti Gazal. So basically, I stole from one of you guys. I'm not going to tell you why. which one. One of you guys left $10 on this table beforehand, okay? Last year, I stole it from you, but I don't know which one of you I stole from, whose money it was. Everybody here claims that it was you who I stole from. What's my responsibility, okay? So, 
says, I say, here, here's the $10, I put on the table, you guys fight it out. I walk out of the room. That satisfies my obligation, which is pretty funny. Well, we're going to see about the even in Shemaim in a minute, in a little bit, which is pretty funny because you would think that if I stole, I'm not putter until I make sure that the person got the money back. Okay, so that's a pretty big commission. This is not the way that I get out of sinning. Now, Rabbi Akiva is talking about Pidei Shemayim or Pidei Adam. It sounds a little bit like he's talking about Pidei Shemayim. Anyway, I have to pay every one of you. Now, by the way, before we get to unpacking that, Tosas asks a really good question. Tosas says, how does this fit in with a general issue we have of Bari Vashema? Michael comes to me and says, Dove, you owe me $10. And I say, I don't know. So there's a debate whether we say, does his Bari win and I have to give him $10? Or does his Bari not win and I don't? So how is this any different. Okay, here all of you are saying, hey, that's my money you owe. And I say, I don't know. So if we normally say Bari Shema, Bari Adif, we normally yeah. say I have to give to the guy who says, why well, don't I have to pay all of you? So this is an obvious answer. Because here, four out of the five of you are lying. So when do we say that a Bari is Adif? Is you say yes, I say, I don't know. There's nothing that contradicts your statement. Here, the other four claims contradict your statement, okay? So that's why even if we normally say Bari Adif, here I wouldn't have to pay. And so this is also the reverse. The reverse is, according to the one that says normally, uh, Michael says, hey, you owe me $10. I say, I don't know, that I don't have to pay. Here, it could make sense that you could say I would have to pay. Why would here I definitely have to pay? If when normally Michael comes to me and says, Dove, you owe me $10, and I say, I don't know, I don't have to pay. Why here would be accusing you? Because I admit that I owe one of you. Ten dollars. I just don't know which one. Okay, so this case is sort of different in both ends. It starts with one guy is definitely admitting. Okay, he's not saying he doesn't know, and everybody else is is making a definite claim, but contradicted by everybody else's claim. What do you okay, so that that of which is the emphasis of the Mishnah, is is by case of Shvua. Okay, but let's take a look at this at this Gemara. So says, who is our mission going like? Okay, neither Rebbe Tarvin or Rebbe Akiva. Okay, why? Um, uh, money. So we assume that the case is um, um, that uh, we assume that the case of Rabbi Akif and Rabbi Tarfan is the case that um, one minute. Uh, so we assume that we're not making a distinction in the Rebbe Akif and Rebbe Tarfan debate initially whether you made a shvua or didn't make a shvua. So if it doesn't make a difference whether you did or you didn't, then our mission doesn't work out. Because Rebbe Tarfan seems to say, in all cases, just leave the gzela and walk away. Presumably, even if you made a shvua. That certainly isn't our Mishnah. If it's Rebbe Akiva, Rebbe Akiva presumably says, in all cases, I have to pay everybody. Okay, so that's assuming that Rebbe Akiva and Rebbe Tarfan don't distinguish between making a shvua and not. Okay? So then how would it work out? So the Gemara says, well, let's say it makes a difference. I'll tell you that our mission is Rebbe Kiva. No, Rebbe Kiva isn't talking about all cases. The debate of Rebbe Kiva and Rebbe Tarfin is you made a shvua. So Rebbe Kiva says, if you made a shvua, you got to make sure the guy gets the money back. That's why you have to pay every single one. And that's why in our Mishnah, you have to run after him to Madai. If you didn't make a shvua, Maybe Rabbi Akiva would say you let them fight it out and you don't run after him to Madai. So our Mishnah that expresses, that's the obvious thing, is to link our Mishnah that expresses running after the guy to China with Rabbi Akiva who clearly expresses a heightened responsibility to make sure that the thing gets returned. Okay? So we're saying if our Mishnah is going to limit it to Shrua, we'll say that Rabbi Akiva is limited to a case of Shrua. But we'll take a look. Okay? Uh, so it sounds like this. My time, Adam Here's the puzzle because Michael's quoting. When there's an when there's an ashama, when there's a dead, real guilt is a swearing falsely. You have to really make sure everybody gets it back. So either pay five people or run after him to Madai. That's your heightened obligation. And Rabbi Tarvin would be saying, Ishtaba. So now what Rabbi Tarvin doesn't make any sense. You took a shvua and you could just put the money and walk away? Yes. 
the rabbis made a takana they said to you that they were going to make it easy for you to pay up okay even if you took a shvua to tell the rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Tzadok Omer says commenting on our Mishnah that you have to run after him to Madai takana kinu. it's not true that you don't always have to run after him to China they made a takana if the travel expenses exceeded the principal that you were returning you just pay the court and you go bring in a, your, your korban and you're done with it now Rashi says this takana is the same with the mission of shaliach based in Tosu says it's not Tosu says the shaliach based in is is that the money still has to get to the guy it's just by giving it to a shaliach of the court you're free from any responsibility if it gets lost or anything happens here the the money is left at the base bin and the guy has to come pick it up at the base bin. Nobody's running after to get the money to the guy. Okay, but either way, that's not exactly our concern right now. The basic point is that uh, Rabbi Lezabar Tzadok is saying that in, in cases where there's a high expense, you don't have to run after the guy, just give it to the base no, Okay. I said, right, high expense, <laughs> relatively high expense. Expense is greater than the cost. So therefore, in the case of when I sold it to five people, right, make Making sure the person would get it back is going to exceed the principal by four times because I'm going to have to pay everybody. So therefore, similar to the idea of not running after them to China and leaving it with the Basin, I leave it among them. I was leaving it among them, put it on the table. Or does it mean I give the money to Basin and let them fight it out in Basin? Okay, according to this, it makes more sense to say the latter. Okay, so here basically the point is Rabbi Akiva doesn't hold of any Takana. Rabbi Akiva says run after him to China, give to five people. If you swore falsely, do whatever it needs to make sure the guy gets the money back. And, and if you didn't, we don't know if you didn't swear falsely. And Rabbi Tarfin says, even in, prif, in principle, maybe I agree, you don't have to spend more than the principle. In principle, different principle. You don't spend more than the amount that you stole, so don't run after him to China, give it to Basin. Don't pay five people, give it to Basin, let them fight it out. Okay, so that's one way of explaining it. Okay, um, now the one says like this. Maybe I should Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Akiva would say back, no. Look, it might it makes sense to say the rabbis made a takana if I know that I stole it from Michael so I'm not going to go fly to China I'll put it in the basin but eventually I know Michael's going to get his money back when he picks it up from the basin or they send it to him the money's going to get back to Michael eventually there maybe I'll concede don't fly to China put the money with the basin but when I stole five from five and I don't know from whom and I'm going to give it to a basin and I don't know the person's ever going to get his money back to low order my monolamari the person won't necessarily ever get his money back I'm sorry I cannot accept that a takana would apply in such a case okay so even if in principle I'm willing to assume a takana certainly not in the case of five so one way of explaining it is that we made a shvua Rebbe Akiva is that's the easiest way Rebbe Akiva who expresses an idea of making sure the money gets back is the one who says in the mission you got to fly to China Rebbe Tarfin is not so concerned even in the case of a shvua he says there are ways we deal with it that you don't have to go to such crazy extent even if the guy even if there are five people and the guy might not get his money back in the end that's one way of explaining it okay now the Gemara says like this uh, where were we? Okay, Masi Rav Huna Bar Yudah. Rav Huna Bar Yudah asked, "Am I Rishim Ben Elazar? Lo Nechlu Rabbi Tarvin Rabbi Akiva Al Shalakach Echem Mechamish Shavini Yodim Mezhem Lakach Shmiyas Kmein Mekach Beinemu Mistalei." They don't debate if it wasn't a case of gezel. Let's say it was a case of honest mistake. I purchased one an object from one of the five of you. You were five merchants in a market, and I bought something from one of you, and I don't remember which one. And all of you are claiming I, you are the one I bought it from. So in that case, we all agree that I put the money down and I let you guys fight it out. Okay, because I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't a goslin. Um, then, when did we debate? When I was a goslin. I don't know which one. I when I did something wrong and I was a goslin, that's when Rabbi Akiva says I have to pay every one of you. Now, he says like this, one minute. If you're saying the only time Rabbi Akiva says I pay each one of you is when I took an oath so if it's a case that I took an oath it shouldn't matter how I got 
how I owed you the money to begin with, right? Because the so so mali lakach mali gazo. Whether you whether initially you were gazan or not, at the end of the day, what creates the heavy obligation is that you swore falsely. That's the case of our Mishnah. So it doesn't matter if it started legitimate. In that oath, you became a gazlan and you swore falsely. That should create the obligation. The ode masiv rav rava rava asked. There was a story with a chassid. Shalokach mishnei bnei adam. He purchased from one of two people. He didn't know which one, just like this case. And he came to Rabbi Tarvin. I'm alone. Rabbi Tarvin said, Yeah, just put the money, let them fight it out. He came to Rabbi Giva. I'm alone. You have to pay each one. This presumably argues on the previous point and says that Rabbi Akiva's idea of paying everyone is even if what you did was legitimate, even if you were just a purchaser, still you owe somebody money, you're not off the hook until that person is paid. Fine. But again, we have our question. If we're talking about a shvur sheker, okay, the isakadaiter timishtaba, the only case where Bikim would say it is not only you did your thing, but then you took an oath about it. Chasid mi mishtaba b'shikra. Since when is a righteous person coming and swearing falsely? A righteous person cannot remember who he owes the money to, but that he swore falsely. Maybe he swore falsely, and now he's become a chasid and he wants to do the right thing. That's the case. Good, 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 good uh, thing for Elul. You know, you could start by being a gazan and a chasid, and then be a chasid. We know whenever we say a story with a chasid, oh, Reb Yudah ben Baba, oh, Reb Yudah ben Eloi. Either we're talking about Reb Yudah ben Baba or Reb Yudah ben Eloi. It's one of these two great Tanayim. Okay, Reb Yudah ben Baba, Reb Yudah ben Eloi, chasidim in Yikarahavu. They never were people that started their career by swearing falsely. <laughs> they were always righteous people. Okay? So you see that we cannot limit the debate of Reb Yekif and Reb Yitarvin to a case of swearing falsely. So what we'll do is we'll pick up tomorrow and now that we know that Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Tarf are talking even without swearing, we're going to now try to, now that we know that, now we're going to mat, try to match them up to the Mishnah, knowing that we can't, since the Mishnah says, you only have this crazy obligation when you swear falsely, okay, and Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Tarf are talking when you didn't swear falsely, then we're now, now we're going to try to figure out who the Mishnah is going like, and we'll pick up with that tomorrow. <laughs>